morning, Hope Church. Thanks for having me this morning. My name is Charles Mitchell. I hail from the uh, north side of Route 30 uh, in Munster, Indiana, where I live with my, uh, with my wife, Brianna, of 19 years. And uh, I always tell people, if you're worried about church attendance, uh, just invite the Mitchell family and we'll fill a whole row at least. Uh, so it's good to be here with my wife and five children and some dear friends of ours um, from Faith Church Munster. And that is where I currently am a member. Uh, I'm also ordained there as a teaching elder, and I enjoy uh, helping to develop small groups and being on the teaching team. And uh, I'm also enrolled in, it's called Torum Deo, which is a commissioned pastor's track, uh, which is very similar to what your very own Pastor Andy has gone through for his uh, pastoral training. Uh, I have about a year left uh, with that program. Uh, and who knows what the Lord will do with that uh, between now and then. I do currently work full-time in the construction trade still, uh, believe it or not. So um, that's why my hands are so calloused. Uh, Pastor Andy made sure to tell me to not wear a suit coat this morning. Uh, but in order to hide my microphone, I thought maybe the sweater would do. But please know that it is just such an honor and privilege to come share God's word with you this morning and for you to have me. I am truly uh, thankful. Amen? Amen. At Faith Church Munster, uh, we, uh, we're very interactive uh, when we teach. And sometimes when it gets too quiet, we get nervous. So feel free to shout out an amen, or what did he just say, or that's whack, <laughs> whatever you need to do. Uh, this morning, though, we're talking about uh, finding your identity. And uh, I, I think I put the title as Finding My Identity, but really it's finding your identity, finding our identity in Christ, right? And that's important. And it's interesting. I was wanted to talk to you about how I knew Pastor Andy and Nancy and Mike and Linda so well. Interestingly enough, God put them in my life at a very vulnerable moment uh, when I myself was kind of wrestling with that idea and that notion of, Charles, who are you? Right? I had all these ideas and all these things that I wanted to be. Right? I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a great dad. Right? I wanted to be a, a hard worker, and I wanted to be successful in this world, right? be a good businessman. I wanted people to look at me and say, like, that guy's got it together. That's what I wanted my identity to be. But as life started happening, and I've gotten in my early 30s, things really didn't seem to go my way. Right? So like, as disappointment happened and as discouragement piled on, I found myself in the early 2000s, kind of just stammering, once again asking, Charles, who are you? And it was painful, and it hurt, because nobody likes to not know who they are. And then we got to Faith Church Hammond, uh, which was a church launch uh, in 2010, I believe, and I met Pastor Andy and Nancy. And uh, I think, is Nancy still a huge Cornhuskers fan? Yeah? Go, go Cornhuskers, Nebraska. Uh, and, I got to, and then I met, and then God put Mike into my life, uh, and Mike had, had a similar story to myself, so it was e easy for us to connect and relate, and God used people like Mike to kind of help me figure out that there's more to life than meets the eye, that, I, that God had plans for me and God has plans for you that we can never even fathom, but part of that had to do with me letting go of what I wanted to be and pursuing what God had created me to be, amen? So that's what I want to look with you this morning for a little bit. Um, I'm going to go ahead and create a cardinal sin and put this here. Don't worry, the scripture's in my notes. Um, <laughs> a 
running out of room. But it's no fun when you lose your sense of identity. And it doesn't matter who you are this morning. You might be saying, Charles, I know exactly who I am. So this doesn't pertain to me, but it does pertain to you. It pertains to all of us. Because no matter how sure you think you are in Christ, I guarantee you, because you live in the same world as me, that the enemy is out there and he's working, just like we sung about this morning, trying to trip you up and try to trip us up and tell us, hey, you're not that, you're this. Or you're not this, but you're supposed to be. Right? And I'm not going to try to impute into each person here what those snags might be. But we all have them. So this morning's message is worth talking about. It's worth hearing again and again and again. So maybe you're in here this morning and you're like, Charles, you didn't know this, but I, I'm going through a complete identity crisis right now. I, I, am, I am a mess. Amen. All right? Maybe you're like, Charles, I know exactly who I am. All right? But this world keeps tripping me up. And there's these things that I want to be, but they're just, I, I can't seem to achieve it. Amen. I've been there. Right? Maybe you're trying to identify as something or someone that God never intended for you to be. And this morning, from his scripture, we get to hear exactly who God created us to be. Why would we go to the Bible and not anything else? Because the Bible is where God tells us who he is and who we are to him. Right? That's, the, that's your safest bet when it comes to finding out who God is and who we are. All right? You know, there's over 140 verses in the New Testament alone that talk about identity. So I'd imagine it's a good bet that God wants us to know who we are. Amen? Amen. All right. This morning I want to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Two, just two verses, but they're packed full of all kinds of insights into who we are, says God, because of Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and put that on the screen. Here we go. Thank you. First uh, Peter 2, starting at verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, and we bless your name for who you are. We bless you, Father, for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And Lord, you say that your word is a living word. So we pray, Lord, that this morning for a few moments your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, Lord, that your word would become alive in us and that it would encourage us towards your very best for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little background about First Peter. Uh, from what I heard from Pastor Andy, you just finished up a study in Philippians. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, so First Peter is just like Philippians in the way that it is an epistle or a letter. Uh, raise your hand if you still write letters. A few hands. Okay. How about text messages and emails? There we go. Everyone's raising them now. Yeah. Um, but it's epistle, and it, it's, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, I'm sure you guessed that from the title, and it was right around 60 A.D., right? So 60 years right around that after the time of Jesus' death and ascension. So this is like a super fresh letter. The people that were reading this letter, a lot of them were alive during the time of Jesus' ministry. So that's pretty incredible, and it's pretty profound that here we are reading these exact words. Uh, and then so why did Peter write these letters to the church? He wrote the letters to the church because 
they were getting scattered, right? You read in the book of Acts that uh, Stephen was martyred. He was the first martyr. And after that, the Christians that were around were like, hey, man, we got to get out of here. We're, we're going to get killed. We're going to get imprisoned. We, we, we got we to go. We got to hide. So they ran off to Judea, to Samaria, to the farthest ends of the world, all the way to Hope Church in Lowell, Indiana. Right? And here we are with this letter today. That's why Peter is writing it, because they were scared. Because these people, a lot of them were Jews that converted to Christianity. So all these things they knew growing up, being trained up as a Jewish, as an Israelite, they were throwing all that out and saying, okay, this is what it means to, be, to follow Christ. And a lot of them tried to take a lot of those old traditions with them, right? That, you know, traditions aren't bad necessarily, but when you put them above the cross, that's when they become a problem, right? And then you had Christians that were, used to be Gentiles, that used to practice all kinds of foreign religion. And they're coming to Christianity, and they're showing up for church on Sundays. And everybody's kind of like, well, well, I look like this, and you look like that, and you, you sound like that. Why do they sound so different? And why isn't he wearing a suit coat? And Pastor Andy told them not to. They had an identity crisis going on within the early church. And Paul wrote them, and Paul wrote to the churches. Right? James wrote to the churches. The apostles kept writing to the churches to remind them, no, this is who you are. Put aside everything that you identified with before. And look at the cross to find out who you are. And it's, not, it's ironic that Peter wrote this letter to the church because Peter himself had gone through plenty of identity crises in his life. If you just look at the Gospels alone, Peter spent Jesus' entire earthly ministry bucking back against what Jesus said was going to happen. Jesus was like, hey, I'm coming. I'm going to set the prisoner free. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. And Peter's like, no, you're not. Over my dead body. He, he, he had to have it figured out. He had to strong on his way to everything. And then he had another crisis of identity when Jesus finally went to the cross. And Peter sat there and denied him three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know myself. And then even... Once Jesus ascended and he charged Peter with being the rock and going off and founding the church, Paul had to come to Peter and chastise him because Peter loved hanging out with his Jewish buddies, right? And when he got out with his Jewish buddies, it was all like, hey, if you're not Jew, you're junk, right? Right? I grew up with a different saying. If you're not Dutch, you're not much, right? And he's like, oh, a bunch of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And Paul, and Paul comes to Peter and he says, hey, man, those Gentiles over there that you're treating less than, they're not as important to you, that you get together with your Jewish buddies and talk trash about, that's not God's heart and it shouldn't be yours. That's not your identity anymore, Peter. We're all equal because of the cross. Amen? That's why it's important. Because this... The spiritual warfare that was going on back then. The same stuff Satan was trying to trip God's people up with is the same thing that he's tripping us up with now. I love that you guys talk about that this morning so fervently. There is spiritual war happening. Whether you want to admit it or not, there is war being waged for your soul and mine. Daily. They don't take a break. They don't take a holiday. It's all day, every day. And Satan uses things that you might not even realize are happening. He uses hurt and disappointment like he did in my life, right? It's okay to identify, like, as a mom, you know, or a dad. Like, you know what? What do I identify as? Who am I? I'm, I'm a mom. I'm a mother. Or I'm a grandmother. Or I'm a dad. I'm, I'm going to be the 
the all-American dad. It's easy until his child dies. Who are you? Right? And maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman. And when, when, you, when people look at you, you want them to see someone successful, someone that's in charge, a leader, until the economy crashes and your business fails. Who are you then? Maybe it's an athlete. Maybe you're all about athletics. Maybe you're really you're an all-star basketball football player. But who are you when you age out or you injury out? You're no longer to be that person anymore. Or a ministry leader, you know, a pastor. I want to I be the next Joel Osteen, whoever your famous, your great, you know, John Piper. Uh, not Joel Osteen, sorry. Uh, <laughs> have an identity crisis up here. Uh, but that's all fine and good until people start showing up to your church or, or the offering goes way down and you got to shut the doors. If I'm not a successful pastor, then what am I? That's what Satan does. He takes things that people say. You're an addict. You're just a washed-up alcoholic, no good for nothing. You screwed up. There's no chance for you, right? You're a screw-up. You are a throwaway person. You're not worth my time. Satan uses words like that to throw us off the scent of what our real identity is. We have to... Look, act, live, breathe, smell, eat, like this. Social media is great at that, right? It says in, in, the, in the culture around us, uh, my identity is my sexuality, right? Who, am I, who I'm attracted to is my identity, right? Others use culture, ethnicity, right? Well, uh, I'm white, I'm Dutch, I've got everything going for me. Mercy. <laughs> Mercy. Some of us use denominationalism, right? We take religion to a whole new level. Well, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm RCA. You're not. You're less than me. Sorry. Or I'm CRC. Those, 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 those weirdo URCers out there, they got it all wrong. I grew up in the URC. I can say that. Thank you for the hymns, by the way. Comfort food. Mmm. Comfort food. This is what the Satan uses. But when you know who God says you are, it changes your whole perspective, right? It changes everything. I want to prove that to you by going back through 1 Peter 2 and 9, uh, 9 and 10. And the first thing I want to talk to you about, you can write them down if you want, or try your best to remember them in your heart, uh, is you are chosen. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, right? He says, you have been chosen by God himself. Look at your neighbor and say, you are chosen. You are chosen. Good job. Everyone participated. You are chosen. Nobody likes to not be chosen, right? Nobody likes that feeling of not being chosen. I remember being growing up on the, on the playground, and maybe some of you kids out there uh, can relate, uh, when they're picking the teams for the, the, the football scrimmage during recess, and you're sitting there, and you're just like, oh, Lord, please don't let me be the last one. Please don't let me be that guy. Please. And then finally somebody, because they love Jesus already, they're like, Charles, come on, be on my team. Just don't, try to stay out of the way. <laughs> you know? But you all know what it feels like to not be chosen for something, whether it's a job or a relationship. Being not chosen stinks. And God says to you this morning, I chose you. I chose you. 
Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. He chose you. And not because he knew you were going to be a better pick than the other guy or gal. He chose you because he said, I love you. Say that to yourself this morning. God chose me because he loves me, period. He doesn't have to explain it to me. He doesn't have to explain his choosing to anybody else. He chooses me. Number two. You are extremely valuable. And you know, there's two different ways that you can, you can you, you choose to put value on something, right? How do you value something, whether it's a car or diamonds or w- whatever you're, you're valuing? One of the things is who owns it, right? You know, if I was going to go buy a Ferrari, I never will. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I was in the market for a Ferrari. If I found one that Michael Jordan owned and sat in, probably worth more than something Joe Schmo sat in, right? Or I, I, I'm a kind of a closet guitar player. I will never play anywhere but in my room. I don't play in the closet ever. But, um, And if you go online and you look at different guitars for sale, um, sometimes you'll come across one that was like, you know, played by Eddie Vedder or, you know, like he was a famous alternative rock singer. But, like, you know, all of a sudden, like that, that simple guitar that was worth maybe $300 is now worth like $20,000 because of who owned it. Guess what? Who owns you? God does. You are extremely valuable because of who you belong to. Luke 12, 24, Jesus says, look at the birds. God feeds them, and you are far more precious than the birds. You are valuable to him. How much is someone willing to pay for you? That's another way we value things, right? I have a baseball card collection, and one time I took it to a friend of mine who owns a baseball card shop, and I thought, man, I'm going to cash in. I'm going to send my kids to college with this. Good thing I, I saved all these. And he rifles through my boxes and boxes of cards and he slides them back over he says Chaz these aren't worth anything man and I said well, why not they're perfect condition he goes because no one's going to buy them off of you that's why you're only valuable if someone's worth purchasing you how much did Jesus pay for you big price amen God values you so much that he threatened his only son to die on the cross for your sins That's how much he values you. And guess what? Jesus didn't die for junk. He died for God's precious treasure, and that's you. And that's something, you take that. You you own that. Right? He didn't die for junk. Another thing that we learned from the scripture, 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So you are eternally loved, right? So what's the difference between unconditional love and conditional love? We have plenty of unconditional love in this life, don't we? Conditional love is, I'll love you until you stop loving me back, right? Or conditional love is, I appreciate you until you disappoint me. Then I won't appreciate you anymore. I'll love you a little less. We, we see love lives come and go, right? And that's why marriage is different, right? Because marriage is unconditional love. And it's because it's, it's modeled after the unconditional love of our Father in heaven. Unconditional love says God loves you regardless of how you feel about him. You ever know that? Anybody ever tell you that? God's love is not conditional on your performance or on your ability to love him better or have better faith in him or to be a better servant in church than the other guy or gal. God loves you before you even loved him. In Romans 5, 8, this is what Paul says. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while you were the farthest off from him that you could possibly be, 
Christ died for you. That's unconditional. Paul continues in that same chapter in Romans 8. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So he's covering all the bases. Will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's unconditional. Nothing you do will separate you from God's love for you. Nothing you do will ever change the fact that the creator of the cosmos, the one that puts all the stars and the planets in the sky and makes everything work so intricately that if the earth was a ghost that way, we'd burn up and die. <laughs> he holds everything together, and he created you, and you are his child, regardless of whether you want to be or not. And your sin doesn't change that. But the difference is, you see, my children are my children. But someday they're going to choose whether or not they want to be part of my family. Right? And I hope they do. Just like God wants his children to want to be part of his family. Amen? For you are totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. At one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received his mercy. That's 1 Peter 2.10 again. There is now no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are totally forgiven because it's God's nature to forgive, you see? Like ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, and he had to remove them from the Garden of Eden, from his total presence, God's plan from day one was to try to get Adam and Eve, me and you, back into that Garden of Eden. That's his plan. You are totally forgiven in Jesus. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, and this is Old Testament, right? Because this is, this, is, this is God before Jesus walks the earth. I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you, not because you're going to get it right from here on out, not because I didn't like you before and now I do, or not because, hey, like, you, I like the way you dress, or like, it, it's, whatever reason we hold back forgiveness for people, God doesn't have those parameters. You are totally forgiven. And number five, you are fully capable. You are a royal priesthood, First Peter says, chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a royal priesthood. I used to think that, uh, I, I used to admonish pastors and, and reverence so much. I, I still do when they deserve it. Um, but to hear that, those words, to have somebody charge you with the idea that, hey, you're, you are responsible for the greatest message ever. The problem with that is that we always want to put it on, like, the guy up on the podium. But the actuality, what Peter is saying here, is that all of you are the priests. You are the caretakers of the greatest message, which is the gospel, the greatest news anyone will ever hear, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but live eternal life. It's the greatest news you could ever tell, but you're the stewards of it. And I am alongside of you, but each and every one of you that has accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and has surrendered your life to him has become a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? <coughs> you are capable of it. 
2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, the capacity we have comes from God. It's he who made us capable of serving the new covenant. That's 2 Corinthians, right? He says he makes you capable. And you might have come in here this morning and say, like, Charles, you have no idea what's going on in my life right now. You don't know me. You've never met me before. It's true. I will never try to understand where it is you're at. That would be foolish of me. I can relate to you as a human being, though, and as a fellow sinner. And I can tell you this. If God can use this guy or a guy like Mike, <laughs> he can use anybody. All right? And God, God didn't start doing that in the early 2000s with me and Mike either. All right? Peter was a narcissist. You remember? All right? Peter was all about Peter. Abraham and Sarah had a lying problem. He used them to do some pretty big things, though. What about David? David had a huge lust problem. Right? Got him in big trouble. He used David to do all kinds of stuff, too. Joseph, what a foolish, proud little boy. No wonder his brothers threw him in that pit. Amen? <laughs> all right. And then there was Moses. He got such an anger problem, God wouldn't even let him back into the promised land. But he still used him. You are all capable. You are all usable. You are all loved. You are all fully forgiven. So what does this mean? Is this just a good reminder for us? It is. But this does something. This is a game changer. When you fully accept these truths, it does something to you internally, and it creates an outward response. And I would charge to you that if you're not seeing that outward response, use today, use this message as a wake-up call. Use today as a catalyst for you to realign your true identity. Amen? Because those that are truly and fully forgiven, those that have completely taken that up into their countenance, Forgive others. Is your spirit a spirit of forgiveness? Is your rhythm in life forgiveness? Or is it, I'm going to hold a grudge until they feel painful enough to come and beg me for it? Right? Are you a person of mercy and grace? Those that are fully capable go out and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? 1 Peter 2.17 says, show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Right? What is Peter saying there? Peter's saying, treat everybody as if they're God's plan. Treat everybody like they're God's progress. Treat everybody like God's got a very best for them. And treat yourself and live like God has a very best for you. Amen? When you find your true identity in Christ, it changes everything. Everything. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we do not have to identify uh, with things that are not lasting anymore. Thank you, Lord, that we can cling to the identity that we have in your son Jesus, who died on that cross for our sins, who defeated death and invites us into his ascension. Lord, make us good stewards of these promises as we await the second coming. And we bless you for your help in doing this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.